You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and this week I'm talking to organic gardening expert Barbara, Barbara Pleasant. She's the author of many gardening articles and books. You're one of her columns in Mother Earth News and her Grow Veg blog um, both won silver awards from the Garden Writers Association. And if you follow this show on Facebook, you'll see that I very often link to her articles because they're super. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning. Now, you've got, I mentioned you've got a whole lot of gardening books. I think you've got 12 now. Is that, did Something I count like that Something like that. You know, <laughs> and, and back in the, back in the uh, 90s and early 2000s, I did some books for the National Home Gardening Club. So if you count those, there's, there's quite a few. You know, that happens when you just keep working over a period of years. But right now, I guess there are four that are, you know, kind of out there helping gardeners, I would hope. <laughs> you've got the Gardener's Bug Book. You've got the Gardener's Weed Book, Complete Host Plant Survival Manual, and a whole bunch of others. And now you've got a whole new one, don't you? Yeah, the newest one is called Homegrown Pantry, and it has a long um, subtitle, Selecting the Best Varieties and Planting the Perfect Amounts for What You Want to Eat Year-Round. So if, if I can uh, reinterpret that, I'm not really talking about food self-sufficiency as much as okay. enjoying your garden and um, planting things that grow well and that are easy to store so that you can have that satisfaction of, you know, eating from your garden almost every day of the year. Okay, so you're not, uh, it's not a garden book for preppers or somebody that yes, wants to become... Yes, oh, it is? It, it, it is too? Okay. useful for preppers um, because I discuss the best ways to preserve the different things that you can grow in your garden. You know, it's not just canning. You can dry things, and some things are wonderful dry. And fermentation is so cool. <laughs> and um, there are a lot of things that, you know, the sky's really the limit. Daryl, have you ever had fermented snap peas? I had not even considered the idea of fermented snap peas. They are delicious. You just do them the same way you would do anything else, <clears throat> which is two tablespoons salt and a quart of water is the brine. And if you taste it, it tastes like seawater. That's how salty it needs to be. Mm -hmm. And then if you pick the snap peas with those cute little caps attached, mm -hmm. They have the reservoir of microbes needed for the fermentation. So you can just, you know, rinse them really well and, and stick them in a little jar and cover them with the pickling brine, I mean with the salt brine. And in four days, because they have so much sugar in the peas, it runs the fermentation very quick. They How many delicious. days? Four. Four days to a pickle? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For delicious. Whoa. Salt fermented snap peas. 
I'm going to have to give that a try if I can ever get enough snap peas into the kitchen. I'm I know. Kind of that is the that issue. Gra- you eat them while they're still in the garden. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm I'm a grazer when I'm out in the garden. And right. I always, now that I garden in the driveway, um, I, they're right there in front of me. I don't have to go down the stairs to the back garden anymore because, of course, that's gotten too shady. But I just saw a garden in front, and I'm just nibbling whenever I'm out there. But I'm going to have to try that because I've I've made sauerkraut, of course, and I've made Mm -hmm. long brine pickles. Mm -hmm. But that's much more than four days. Right. Right. Now, I've been making beet kvass, K-V-A-S-S, and, in fact, the recipe is in the book, Homegrown Pantry. And um, it's it's just, it's a fermented beet drink. Hmm. And it, and it's really quite delicious. It feels, it's, of course, it's, whenever you ferment anything, you've created a probiotic. Sure. <clears throat> something. <laughs> And the kvass is, is quite refreshing. And uh, part of it is I've been on this beet thing. Do you ever watch the show Top Chef? No, not very often. Okay. Well, I don't watch much TV at all, but I record Top Chef. And there was this um, young woman from Colorado. She was delightful to watch, a real bubbly, positive person. Her name was Carrie Baird. And for one competition, she blew them away with a kale salad with beet raisins. Beet raisins? Beet raisins. So my ears perked up, mmm, beet raisins. And I started, you know, looking on the Internet. Nobody had any recipe for beet raisins. And I thought, well, you know, I don't know. And then I had done a, a, a trial, you know, just to try to make some beet raisins. And mm-hmm. then the uh, Denver Post did an interview with Carrie Baird and got her recipe and ran it. But it it wasn't, the recipe wasn't right. You know, that's how that happens sometimes when it's just an interview and not somebody that's, you know, really working on the recipe. If, if it's not a foodie that's going to try it before they publish it, yeah, it can run into problems. Or, or here we're talking a chef, you know, not a communicator. And, mm-hmm. and, or, you know, anyway, there was some information missing. So I spent like a week figuring out how to make beet raisins, um, which are decadently delicious. Okay. Are you going to tell our listeners? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Good. What, tell our listeners, what happens, First, you cook the beets. You could, I'm, I'm recommending boiling them, which usually is like 40 minutes or so, depending on how big the beets are. And then remove their skins and use a melon baller to cut balls. And then you boil, or simmer is a better word, simmer the balls in a sweet brine of vinegar, sugar, and water. And that takes another 40 minutes or so before they really start to soften a bit. And then you dehydrate them for three hours. And I assume people don't have to get a dehydrator. They can just use their oven I don't the know. Door open. You know, a, a person did email me that very question. She wants to make Carrie Beard's beet raisins but doesn't have a dehydrator. And I thought about it, and I with a high sugar food like these balls of beets, <laughs> these mm-hmm. what I call candy beet balls at that point, um, that's so much potential for, you know, 
things that like to chow down on sugars getting into it if you if you were to go too slowly you know like just you couldn't just dry them at room temperature so what i suggested to her it being the time of year where we are getting some warmish days is to use a parked car Yes, the parked car trick. I've done that one. The car trick. Because, you know, a parked car, especially with dark interior, on a sunny day will heat up to around 100 degrees well by noon and hold that temperature for several hours. And um, it makes a great food dehydrator because the volume of air inside the vehicle is you know, rather abundant, and so... Um, yeah, just don't, everybody, don't try um, dehydrating onions in your car. Ask me how well, I know. It would smell like <laughs> onions forever, wouldn't it? Yeah, you cannot, get the, you cannot get the onion smell out forever. <laughs> I, okay. My dehydrator had gone we, on we the fritz. Daryl. <laughs> hmm? Well, um, one of the things I have found is that um, if if I grill or, or smoke peppers before freezing them, they are just delicious. And Ooh. a couple of years, when I've looked back on all the food I preserved that season, what was the tastiest? Got to do it again. Got to do it again. And it's the smoked peppers. Well, one year, I instead of just freezing the smoked peppers, I put them in the dehydrator you have to completely defumigate your dehydrator after you've done it, or else you're going to have everything, apples, smelling like smoke, you know. <laughs> I, I can see that. I can see that. I, you know, they make little solar-powered fans. I bet you you could stick a solar-powered fan um, in your car, too, and really increase the quick the fastness of the drying and decrease yeah. perhaps some of the scent too right um, and in fact in shopping for just such a thing um boat supply places have yes. a solar fan on a court so that you can you don't have to you, you have some leeway in where the fan goes and where the charger goes so and, and if anybody lives near a marina they don't even have to go to a a, a catalog place do they you probably have them right there. I can imagine on a hot, sunny day, since most little boats don't have air conditioning, right. um, I, I would have loved a solar fan if we could have gotten uh-huh. one way back right. when, when we were sailing. Um, I wonder okay. why there aren't more solar fans out there. You know, sun shines, gets hot, need ventilation. I would, I would think that would have been way ahead of solar light. <laughs> Thanks, but you, but you remember way back when the battery life from solar was was nil. You know, if yeah. it, if it wasn't sunny that instant, you know that you'd, you'd run out of battery in half an hour, and they, and they were very very expensive. Solar technology has way gone gone way down now. I love solar lights. I have fun with solar lights. I use them as a flashlight when I go out to shut up the chickens at night. I'll just pick up a solar light and carry it with me. Well, ours are nailed or are screwed to the deck, but they're, we've got some really nice ones that we've had for several years, and they, they're battery, they're motion activated. So if a critter mm-hmm. comes by, or if we if we need to run down, if the chickens start hollering or something, um, we can do that without killing ourselves in the dark. I love my. I have one on the back steps, you know, that lights up the steps when you get near it, and I just love seeing that thing pop on, you know. <laughs> 
I guess we have to have some entertainment in our old age, Barbara. <laughs> well, you know, that's life in the country. <laughs> I, I enjoy my solar lights very much, and I highly recommend them to gardeners who need to go out and check at night in their garden. Or if you work late and you need to run down and, to, and do something in the garden, it's a whole lot easier than a headlamp if but you've got a garden in the dark. Not, they will not keep deer away. Yesterday I noticed that the deer had eaten the sedum that was right at the bottom of the solar light. So... A deer at this time of year will eat anything that they can get their mouth around, including my sister's rose bushes with all the thorns. I shouldn't say this because I've been a rose lover in the past and I still love them. I took out my last rose bush a couple of weeks ago. It wasn't (laughs) worth the fight. And with a deer or with rosette or what? With a deer. deer. We have one deer that thinks she's a pet. My neighbor calls her long legs, and long legs and I are, I, last week I put, you know, uh, wire, con- wire uh, cages around the daylilies and sprinkled some cayenne pepper on the daylilies and then took some pieces of apple and threaded them on strings and put cayenne pepper on those and hung them from the cages. We're communicating, you see. Uh-huh. They haven't been back to eat the daylilies, so. Yet. Yet is the operative word with a deer. Yeah. We've only well, got, we've got less than half a minute till break. But when okay. we come back, I want to let our listeners know that we will get a little bit serious. Um, <laughs> and we'll be talking about seed starting. So if you've ever been intimidated about seed starting or had a problem where it didn't just quite work out for you, we'll find out today how to fix it. And we'll be right back after this. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. My guest today is Barbara Pleasant, and we're here to start talking about 
starting seeds. Seeds, I, you know, I keep hearing, Barbara, from people that I will tell them, oh, you know, if they're looking for something, I said, oh, you can just get the seeds for it. They've got them over here at Pikes or wherever. And they said, well, I can't grow from seed. Of course they can. Seeds, most seeds are easy, aren't they? Well, most seeds are easy, and all seeds are so fascinating. Yesterday, I was planting my pepper seeds, and they're just these flat little discs, you know, mm-hmm. and it, that that there's everything they need to grow into, you know. At, at the end of the season, my pepper plants have to be both caged and staked most of the time mm-hmm. because they're so big and heavy, and that that all started with a little seed. And I don't do a lot of seed saving because you have to practice isolation if you're going to do it right. Um, but I do see, save some pepper seeds. And that makes it even cooler that I'm mm-hmm. planting this pepper or this tomato that I've been growing, you know, for, for many years. And I grew the seeds, too. So, <laughs> Yep. I remember one of my first experiences starting seeds was starting marigold seeds that I had collected from my mother's garden at the end of the previous year. She sent me out there to go collect them, and then the next spring she let me sow them. And it's just so much fun to go from cycle to cycle. But some people are intimidated, and they don't need to be. It's the most, to me, there is nothing more miraculous than seeing that little hairpin coming out of the soil. It's well, a few days see, after but here it is. It's, it's March, and it's appropriate seed starting season. But many beginners are so eager that they start way too early. You know, I know a, a gardener in Minnesota sent me pictures of her tomatoes in January. <laughs> and, yeah, you're going to have some problems because there's no place to put them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I used to do that, too, and I... You know, I always wanted the first, fastest tomato, first tomato on the block. And I would start them way too early, and I would grow them under lights, and I would put them out on every warm day, and I would pot them on from little containers to bigger ones and bigger ones and bigger ones until finally when they went in the ground, they were about a five-gallon container. And um, it, it's doable if you want to spend a lot of money on high-intensity high lighting, but for normal seed starting in a normal season, which is, you know, six weeks ahead for tomatoes, they mm-hmm. do perfectly fine under inexpensive fluorescent shop lights. We um, are still used, even though lights have been improved twice since we got this plant light 15 years ago. We had new ballasts put in a couple of years ago to make sure the, the bulbs burned as brightly as they're supposed to and, and put new bulbs in about every other year. To, this year we had to replace two. Um, but those old T12s are just doing fine, you know, so... Yeah, I just I haven't replaced ballasts on mine yet. Um, I usually just end up with a new fixture because after a number of years of you know dragging them in and out of the garage, they tend to um, tend to have problems, especially now with the cats. You know, you've never yeah. tried, never seen as much of a mess as when you have a cat barf all over the top of your <laughs> seed your seed starting lights. But um, well, my seed starting lights have a flat top on them, you know, the little mm-hmm. hood that covers the, the light fixtures is flat. Yeah. And 
it gives off some heat. And I use that in lieu of a uh, heating mat to bottom heat. Tomatoes love that. They love to have bottom heat while they're germinating. And so the tomatoes and peppers that I started yesterday, today they're on top of the lights, if that makes sense. You know, they're... they're yeah. I, the yeah. only thing I have to caution people about is make sure that they the water can't drip down into the holes that they put in there for, like, the hanging chains and some yeah, of the holes a, in the center. And, yeah, yeah. But back before I had heat mat, I used things like that. Um, also used the top of the water heater to give them nice, some, some nice bottom heat. Um, mm-hmm. I put them on top of the refrigerator back in the days when refrigerators weren't as efficient as they are now. Um, I did also one time, and I re- highly recommend against this, don't put them on top of your TV. I know that most oh. TVs these days don't, but I blew up a TV once. Oh! oh. <laughs> and water dripped down the back, and I, it just went powie-wowie and just... Oh, it was not, it was not fun. <laughs> you know, but. another idea that's kind of, kind of sweet, and, and I picked it up from a kombucha maker. You know, I said, well, I can't keep my house at, you know, 78 degrees to make kombucha. And she said, Christmas lights. Put little oh, yeah. white and twinkly mm-hmm. lights around them, and um, the same thing can help if if you have a too chilly situation where you're starting your seedlings. Yeah, to, the um, old-fashioned Christmas tree lights, the bigger bulbs work better. Um, mm. And you can even if you get the string of the old-fashioned outdoor lights, the big mm-hmm. bulbs. You can, if you live in an iffy climate area, you can wrap your tender plants, more tender plants in them, and throw a hunk of plastic over it on the coldest nights. Wow. I have a friend <laughs> in New Orleans. Like a lot of trouble. <laughs> huh? Well, if you love your plants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway. Seedlings, you know, a little bit of air circulation helps seedlings toughen up. And I, I, you know, when I'm checking on them and watering them, I blow on them. Do you do that? Well, I normally just keep a little fan running on low in the room Mm because I very often will have 400 plants going at once. And I have a big seed starting (laughs) setup. I got a a big um, storage rack from, I guess it was Costco or something. And uh, I hang the four-foot-long fluorescent tubes on there, uh, two of them to a shelf. And those, as you mentioned, they do throw off a fair amount of heat. And Mm -hmm. so in order to keep them from getting too warm once the seeds are up, I keep a little fan running in the room. I don't use it when I'm first starting the seeds because I want to keep all the heat right where it is. And you mentioned in the article that I'm going to post a link to, you mentioned that there, um, that you don't use the seed starting mat. I love my seed starting mats. I've got, I've had some and that don't last very long, but I've also got one now that I've had for at least 15 years. Isn't and that funny how some of them last and some of them punk out just right away? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that was, when I used to use the seed starting mats, um, that was the thing is they were they were just unexpectedly just die for no reason. Well, I, I think a lot of it has to do with manufacturing, and of course also handling. Um, mm-hmm. But 
and, and you don't know where they've been before you buy them, too. You don't know who's rough-handled them. But I've got, I think it's a hydrofarm, and I will put a, I will Those make sure and take a picture of it. Mm-hmm. And that sucker is, has made it for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And like you, I probably, I get um, samples from various companies that would like to have you try them out and talk about them. And some of them have been very good and some of them haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it all depends. It, whatever people want to do in their own situation, if you've got a warm spot in your house, go ahead and put your seeds there. Uh, if you don't, um, just be really careful. Remember, you are talking electricity there, and you don't want to have something that's not rated for dampness. I have a friend who used to use water beds to start. Mm-hmm. She would use the little you know, small-sized water beds, and she'd put them up on um, a hunk of plywood on a couple of two-by-fours down in her basement. And uh-huh. that worked really fine for her, and it was safe because it was designed to use, you know, if, it, uh, if something got wet, um, they were designed so they could handle that kind of stuff. So a seed is going to need some warmth to germinate usually. Uh-huh. Um, and on the Facebook page some weeks ago, I posted a list of what the best germination temperatures. I posted a link, and I will see if you if you can't find it, just email me or post a message, and I will get it to you. Um, m- most temperature, most plants like a temperature around seventy five degrees to start, right? Well, yeah, and that, there's a range. You know, the temperature mm-hmm, sure. is not the yes or no of germination, but the speed at which germination will take place and proceed. And, you know, before you see the sprout, a root is growing into the um, seed-starting medium. So stuff's happening before you see it. And mm-hmm. the more... the that all that proceeds rapidly is to the advantage of the seedling. And so, you know, I don't bother with the bottom heat with everything, but with the warm season things, you know, tomatoes and peppers, which is what a lot of people want to try first, you know, the bottom heat really is beneficial. I found Of course, it, I... along with the bottom heat comes the uh, demand for moisture. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when they're first germinating twice a day, they need to be checked twice a day. I know as spring progresses and more and more things get moved outside, to me it's always such a relief because I feel like I've had 100 mouths to feed and now I only have 50 <laughs> and now I only have 20. And then the last few things I start from seed are the squash family. I usually do that outdoors and it's so easy, you know, compared with having the grow lights and, the, you know, everything. Uh, during the summer, I'll use um, a patio table with an umbrella over it mm-hmm. as my primary seed starting station. So, now, that's interesting. I think, it's easier, I think it's easier for me, at least, to start them indoors um, using a good quality seed mix. You don't have to worry about bugs and slugs and things like that getting them. Um, if you've got a good quality seed starting mix, um, I haven't found that water is a problem until they're getting quite large in their tray. Mm-hmm. Um, we can talk about seed starting mixes later in what you use to start your plants in, because I'm sure both of us have some really good hints. I like to use plug trays for tomatoes. 
yeah. um, because I can start so many of them in a small space. Most mm-hmm. things, you know, four by you, you, the little four by four leftover containers are okay, as long as right. you clean them up. Um, you, you probably have a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Hmm? You do need to clean them up. We have a little routine out here. We have a little Rubbermaid tub, and my husband will go out there and hose off all the old material for me, and then we plop them in with some bleach and water, a 1 to 10 solution, let them soak for a bit, and then let them air dry, and that works out just fine. Right. And there's a lot of different seed starting mixes out there. Um, I find a lot of them hold too much water. Mm -hmm. I prefer, I I use ProMix usually, Mm -hmm. partly because I can get that in giant 3.8 cubic foot uh, bales at uh, yeah. wholesale greenhouse supply, uh, wholesale green nursery and greenhouse right here, about two blocks from my home. But there's lots of them out there, and we yeah, can talk yeah. when we come back about the good ones and the bad ones because there are some that are out there um, that are just suit, not totally not suitable for seed starting. And Too we'll be glad talking more about seeds and seed starting right after this. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Polis, and my guest today is Barbara Pleasant, and we're here talking about starting seeds. So, Barbara, what kind of containers do you like to use for starting seeds? Well, that is going to vary with the seed that I'm starting. Um, you know, we've been talking about vegetable seeds, but I start flowers, too. Mm-hmm. And um, the bigger seeds, I'll start in bigger containers. And, you know, early on in my gardening career, I, I think... The tiniest seed that I had ever taken on was uh, um, ageratum, the blue floss flower. And there's long-stemmed varieties that work well in flower arrangements, and you can't buy them as bedding plants. And so I ordered seeds, and these seeds were the size of dust particles. They were so mm-hmm. tiny. Like and banana I, seeds. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I planted them according to the instructions, and darn, they came up and grew into these marvelous plants, you know. So, um, it, it, you know, it depends. This year, um, we've, we had some wind that kind of uh, wreaked havoc on my flower pot collection. <laughs> And I so I, in fact, I bought one of those uh, fairy morse um, already packed with seed starting mix trays um, for my early season. For example, there's kohlrabi in there and there's some cabbage and maybe some other things. And it's done really well. But you, I wouldn't be able to hold the seedlings in there very long because of the limited root space. So something like a tomato that I'm po- I'll have to pop those up twice by the time I get them out. Um, I think I started those in the little four packs that I saved from bedding plants last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I'll move them into four-inch pots. And I'm in I'm at a high elevation in the Virginia mountains, and our frost date is May 10th. And... It can still be cold, you know, in early May. There have been times when the upstairs bathtub was full of seedlings. The washer was covered with seedlings, you know, Mm -hmm. because I had all these seedlings hardened off outdoors waiting for the weather weather to settle. And it turned cold and I had to bring everybody in. Been there, done that. Happens almost every year. Um, but it's better than having the mountain, a cold garden, suffering in, in cold rain. So. Yeah. There, will, there is nothing that will set a, a warm season plant like a tomato or a pepper back than to put them out into cold soil. That's why I'm waiting. I waited till now, this weekend, I started planting my tomato seeds and my peppers. I should really have started the peppers since they need a little bit longer head start. But we are this year we're having such really iffy weather and the weather our weather guy, the one that I trust that's non hysterical, says, mm-hmm. Well, we're gonna just expect going from seventy degrees like we were this weekend, seventy three, seventy four, and then we're supposed to be down in the low thirties, upper twenties by Wednesday. And we've uh-huh. been doing this now for uh, about a month and a half. And he said expect that that'll continue at least through April. Now in some years when they were expecting a nice warm spring, um, I will start them earlier than that. But, you know, you never know, and it's always good to have a plan B. In my case, I harden them off in the driveway area, and I, I throw them in the garage when it gets bad, where I bring them in. Some years, and see, we modern gardeners, we can go to our favorite weather portal on the Internet and look mm-hmm. at 10 days, 14 days ahead and kind of know what to do. I can't imagine what gardening was like when you didn't have a guess. You know, well, I, 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 you, if you look back at early gardens, go to Williamsburg or Monticello, both of which are, well, Monticello is close to you, I guess. Williamsburg is way on the other mm-hmm. side of the right, state, right. practically in the ocean. But when you look at the number of protective devices that they had, they had, of course, their pit gardens, um, some heated, some not, mm-hmm. uh, you know, equivalent of our modern-day cold frames. Um, or hotbeds. They had cloches, mostly glass, um, that would cover up. 
and that, that would also pre-warm the soil for them. They had special soil pre-warming frames that were basically a glass top with a wooden frame that they could take out into the garden where they wanted to plant and heat the soil up, put the seedlings in, and then if they weren't needed to um, keep those seedlings warm, they would just get moved down to another part of the row. And we could do well, you that know, too. I use some old windows <clears throat> set up on a knockdown frame, <clears throat> and grow, excuse me, <clears throat> and grow my earliest salads under glass. Um, because even if we get snow or ice, um, the glass is so protective and it's so neat. And they're my windows from my house, so I know that they don't have lead paint on them. That's the only precaution. I don't want things with lead paint in my garden. And um, so, well, there's. There's ways to do it. I, I look at people like Elliot Coleman, who's way up north and grows year-round. Um, mm-hmm. And there are several. But, but there's a uh, lot there of special techniques involved with that. You yeah. know, like the, the easiest a high thing to do and a double layer of row cover. Sure. You know, and, and things like that. So the easiest thing know. for most new gardeners, though, is just don't jump the gun. They can call their cooperative yeah. extension service, find out how when their average last frost date is or the recommended planting date, um, and then count back the number of days on the seed packet. If it says start indoors six weeks ahead, then they do that. They don't, you know, you don't want to start them indoors three months ahead because they well, have a problem of what to do with big plants. Boy. Yeah, and we all enjoy growing tomatoes and peppers, but tomatoes are not the only vegetable in the garden. You know, I was talking about yesterday starting tomato and pepper seeds, but there's all this other stuff. I'm a cabbage freak. I've got three types of cabbage, you know, and I love kohlrabi and these cool season things, spinach, lettuce. So there's plenty to do. It's not. If you want to start seeds, possibilities. Yeah, Yeah. I've got beets and spinach out growing in in my container gardens out front. Um, Mm -hmm. On really bad nights this year, when we were down close to zero, I my husband dragged them into the garage for me. But um, but even in the open ground, it's simple enough to cover them up if you get really bad weather. And they're they're so cold most of the time they don't even need it. When I used to plant spinach outdoors, I'd do it in the fall and let them overwinter, and they would, of course, die down in the in the winter time when it was very cold. But then they would pop up again. So there's a yeah, lot of things to do. But for for now, we're talk mostly about indoor seed starting. Now, what kind of soil mix do you use? A uh, certain name brand organic. <laughs> You can you can um, name I, the org- you can name it. Well, you know it's what they have at Farmers Supply here in Little Bitty Floyd, Virginia. They do a really good job of getting in good garden supplies, and that is you know with the seed starting mix is one place where I will say go with a national brand. Don't go with brand X from the discount store that you've never heard of. You know. Um, because I have had bad batches. And if you're starting a lot of seeds, I also recommend buying a small bag of um, vermiculite because if you cover, if you plant the seeds and then put on just one layer of vermiculite on top, it really makes a difference in how clean I think the soil surface stays and I think it helps prevent damping off. Um. 
I used to use vermiculite back when I would use a mix that I would make. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a variation of the Cornell mix, you know, the one part peat, one part perlite, one part vermiculite. Okay. Okay. And the variation, of course, was I would use compost in it. And mm-hmm. even as, even when you hot compost, just the fact that you're composting outdoors, sometimes ex- other bacteria or fungi will multiply in it or get blown onto it. So I would use yeah. vermiculite on that. I've got a yeah. friend in Florida that made did everything in her homemade compost and rarely had a problem, but she had a very well-ventilated area to grow under. And I think that growing in good conditions, clean, start with clean pots or new pots or clean ones that you've reused and disinfected with a 1 to 10 bleach solution mm-hmm. and using a quality um, seed starting mix is important. And, and you're, feel free to mention the name brand because I'm sure somebody out there wants to know. Well, you know, I believe this is Miracle Grow Organic. (laughs) But, you know, I have to mention a friend of mine who makes all of his own seed starting stuff and potting mixes. He's a phenomenal composter. Um, Believes that if you go out in the woods and collect some of the dust from the bottom layer of mm-hmm. natural mulch in the woods and use that as an amendment to your seed starting mix that it suppresses fungal diseases. And, and this I, guy doesn't make stuff up. So I know that that was what my grandmother used to do. Did she? She, she would mix her own, yeah. And she would send us out um, either to the the... Uh, underneath the fence line where, of course, all that stuff accumulates. Or she would send the older kids. There was a little tiny wood lot at the edge of their property, and she would send them out to get the duff for it. Wow. Um, so wow. these people are not stupid. Well, they no. Had, and, they, you know, and it does make sense. And, and, of course, now it's all being rediscovered by the scientific world. You know, it's... I. It's hard to buy a um, potting soil that hasn't been amended with some kind of rhizobia, um, mm-hmm. some of which, in, in my experience, have given birth some, to some interesting mushrooms in my houseplants, but <laughs> it didn't hurt anything. <laughs> yeah, well, the main thing for people to remember is to get good air circulation and uh, don't keep it too wet. Nothing will kill a ceiling faster than keeping it too wet. And um, a name brand compost, uh, uh, organic potting mix is fine. Avoid the ones that have moisture holding cr- um, crystals in it, though. Yeah, you don't need those until you're filling summer containers. And, and even then, a big container is going to be better. So, Yeah, I, I don't use them after reading Linda Chalk or Scott. Um, mm-hmm. what they break down into. I, I just stay away from them. So when they first came out, I thought, hey, this might be a good idea. I've also seen some research on them at UGA that says, nah, really doesn't help all that much. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, people can do what they want to do, but in it's a killer for seedlings. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so they have a container, whatever works. I would not, you know, a lot of people use egg cartons to start seeds in. Would you do that? Too small. Yay, man. <laughs> doesn't Absolutely. have enough room. And, um, and, and they dry you know, out too fast. They dry out quickly. They're too tiny. I mean, and it's a cute idea, but not going to work. Uh, 
I have used them. On the other hand, there's one thing that I've used them for, which is onion sets, to help the onion sets break dormancy a little faster so that they're okay. already ha- have struck roots and, and begun to grow by the time I stick them outside. So that's the only thing that I've ever grown that I thought was a good use of an egg garden. <laughs> good. I'm glad we're on the same page there because I have just not had very good luck with them. On the other mm-hmm. hand, those little bathroom cups, they hold three or four ounces, oh, yeah, put some holes great. in those, and those yeah. work really well. And we'll mm-hmm. have to take a break, but we'll be right back after this. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm here today with Barbara Pleasant an organic gardening expert, and we're talking seed starting. And right before the break, we talked about the containers that we use and ones that we don't use. And now let's talk about light. Some seeds need light to germinate, don't they, Barbara? Yes, some of them do, and it'll usually say on the seed packet or with instructions you get if if it's one of those. A lot of the flowers, you know, you'll just barely press them into the damp seed starting mix you know that's one thing that we should have mentioned is taking the seed starting mix and putting it in a pail and getting it uniformly damp before you fill the containers because it's a mistake to fill the containers with it if it's bone dry you know it'll just it won't pack right (laughs) i've done it both ways and when my husband's helping and it's dry um, I usually just set the whole seed tray seed um, packs in a tray of water and let them mm-hmm. soak overnight yeah um, but yeah I see warming watering the seed starting mixed it works well I used to back when I would use um, start them a, a large number all at once instead of some one day and some the other I would actually take the whole end of the hose and poke it a little hole in the bag and let it fill with partly with water, and then I rolled the bag over and over a couple of times till it would e- was evenly moist. Now I use a big Rubbermaid tub, I guess mm-hmm. it's a thirty-two quart or something, with the, the tall one, and I will mix. I will dampen down whatever I'm using for that day, because one of the things about a lot of potting mixes, they'll say, don't wet it before you're ready to use, and the reason mm-hmm. for that is they contain lime. One of the reasons is that they contain lime, and the lime will start to release right away instead of waiting mm-hmm. until after, you know, you're in there and you're fertilizing and the pH, yeah. pH creep. The other thing that mm-hmm. happens sometimes if you start too early, uh, and it happens a lot in commercial greenhouses, is that um, the stuff will catch fire, spontaneously uh-huh. combust. <laughs> you don't want that to happen at your yard. 
I will, know, but, you know, I've written a book on compost, and then you start hearing the picture. He's hearing the stories of spontaneous combustion of compost piles. So, no, it, 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 it happened. I've, I've, it know, I've heard it from fire department people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it doesn't happen often, and usually you'll see the smoke, and if you're tending it properly and keeping an eye on it, that's not a problem. I've been composting for 40 years, 50 years. I, I've never had it happen to me. It Mine's don't never up come close to being that hot, no. Oh. You know, one thing, since we're talking about seeds and seedlings, even if you buy your seedlings, you know, one of the things that new gardeners, I wish I'd known it. I wish It's, it's a fundamental truth of plants. They are stay-in-one-place beings. They don't want to be shifted around, you know, here and there and transplanted and then moved again. You know, I, I got a note last week from someone who had already transplanted their pepper seedling twice in an in attempt to make it happy, and it seemed to be dying. And, you know, it's like, slow down, you know. <laughs> Um, moving, um, too many moves at once. For example, when I'm potting up a seedling that needs a bigger pot, I will do the operation and then put it right back in the same light it was in before. So that it it can only have to endure one big change. And another thing is people will um, raise the seedlings indoors and then put them directly in the garden. And this is a terrible mistake. They need some time to get used to outdoor conditions and even to spend the night outdoors a couple of times because there are bacteria that naturally colonize the leaves that help protect them from frost, you know. And um, I use a big translucent storage bin, you know, an opaque storage bin. Mm-hmm. with uh, a piece of uh, a window glass over the top. It's my hardening off chamber um, because I can keep it right outside the door on my deck. And and so I use the bin method of hardening off. What do you use? I take my plants out and take the trays out, and I put them underneath a tree under mm-hmm. the shade, and um, they'll be out for an hour the first day, maybe a couple hours the second day. Uh, they always come in at night to begin with. Um, because they're still very young seedlings when I, and they're not used to cold night temperatures. And then after several days of doing it, I, and increasing the light, out, the time outdoors every day, um, I will leave them out at night for a night or two, and then I will transplant them shortly thereafter. Because by that I'm time, glad I know. I'm glad you mentioned leaving them out for only an hour the first day because um, the little seedlings that are only used to the indoor light can actually get terribly sunburned. They can. Yeah. And and that's why they go out under a tree, too, because that will let them get accustomed to the outdoor humidity and temperature uh, Mm -hmm. and wind that is different from what they get inside. Indoors, if they're with a lot of their little plant buddies under the lights, the humidity is much <laughs> higher than it usually is when you put them outside. Yeah. And so if they, again, as you mentioned, you don't want to give them two shocks at once. You want to ease them into it. So mm-hmm. and even outdoor light under a tree is very much brighter than indoor light. You know, people don't realize that a shady spot outdoor has more light coming than two bulbs under, you know, uh, fluorescent Mm -hmm. light, way more. And um, 
what is what are those organelles in the leaves? Chloroplasts. Yeah. And and leaves that get more light load up on chloroplasts, and and so it's a layering effect that needs to take place gradually, um, so that they can not only not be injured by excessive light, but make good use of it. So. I think it's wonderful. It's it's all these miracles of plants. I mean, I've never I'm never bored with any of it. You know, whether we're getting the seeds up or you know waiting for that first true leaf to pop out or whatever. There's always something going on with the seed, and especially if you you know once you've learned the basics yourself and and you're watching and you know what's going to come next, and then if you've got the inclination, um, take a look at some easy books, biology books that talk about the miracles of the seed and what's going on there and you find out that when you put the seed in moist potting mix, the first thing it does is start to imbibe moisture to Mm -hmm. revive and wake up the inside and then you've got um, chemicals, enzymes in some seeds in particular that protect them when in nature when normally they would fall off the plant in in the autumn and they the plant that the plant doesn't want to germinate until temperature is right in the next spring, and so they have germination inhibitors in them. And so, when you know all that too, and then you're watching these miracles. And I think you mm-hmm. mentioned Barbara in your article about you know when you plant squash seeds, plants in that family, you'll see this huge. I mean, it looks like a tree of roots underneath it before the plant even pops out of the ground all the way. Mm-hmm. Before the seed coat has come off. Right. So there's all this miracle going on underneath um, the, the soil. And if some of it, if you want to observe it or show your kids, I saw a really neat idea uh, on the Internet. I think it was on Joe Gardner's Facebook page. And somebody had used a CD cover. You know, plant, regular old plastic CD cover, yeah, and yeah. put some soil in the bottom of it, potting mix, and planted a couple of seeds in it. And it, oh, wow. so the the CD is so narrow that you get to see what's going on in mm-hmm. the roots while all this is happening. Mm-hmm. And it's just to me the whole process is fascinating. I've, I've been fascinated since I was a kid, and I planted my first bean seed, and I'm still fascinated. Sixty, and we're not going to say how many sixty year, plus years later. Um, but see, but let's talk about a couple new. more. Yeah. But there is there's always something new. new. Yeah. Um, what uh, I know, a lot of gardeners out there that are listening to us want to know: what about fertilizing their seedlings? I, one question well, I, I've I always got is: um, I wait until they have usually two true leaves to even think about it, and then use a you know, something that I happen to have at half strength or, you know, I've, sh- can we talk about using urine? <laughs> we In can. Mother Earth News, we, we uh, the magazine had some research done and if you um, uh, dilute urine 20 to 1, and this is assuming you're not on chemotherapy or something bizarre like that, you know, human urine is sterile as long as it's just normal. You can use that as a nitrogen fertilizer, which is all you're really trying to give little seedlings is a little bit of boost of nitrogen. And I, I think I, I'll pass on that one personally. Well, you know, but. I... I <laughs> But this is what happens when you talk to somebody from Mother Earth News, you know. Oh, yes. I, I've, and, I've been reading Mother Earth News, heck, 
uh, since, what, 1970, 1968? When did they first start publishing? That was a oh, long time ago. In the late 60s, I think the first couple of issues came out, 69, 70, and then it really yeah. kind of got regular after that. But do you I, I have their Mother Earth News cookbook from back in the 70s, too. That's how long ago I go back here. But the point, so one, one thing we have to mention about fertilizer is brand new seeds that, are, that you've just planted, they don't need fertilizer. As you said, wait until they have at least a couple of sets of true leaves. And if you push them on with fertilizer, they'll put on a lot of excess growth that they don't need to be doing then. And then rather than just a nitrogen boost, I prefer to use a balanced fertilizer. <laughs> and you can it can be organic, like one of the kelp or, or fish meal stuff. I particularly don't care for the uh, fish fertilizers, mostly because they attract rodents. I don't like them indoors because you can yeah. smell it. And, um, yeah. and I, but, you know, I know I'm supposed to be organic and all, but I use miracle Grow for my house plants in the spring. And so, and a quarter-strength uh, solution yeah. of that is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel's makes a really good plant food. Um, it's a little expensive. It's a liquid plant food that you also mix with water. And it's made, if I remember correctly, from soybean seeds. Wow. And it does a really good job of boosting plant growth. And somebody told me at one time that it also had plant hormones in it, kind of like worm castings do, Uh um, that enhance plant growth. But what I've gotten with Daniels is nice, short, stocky plants where when I use the blue stuff or whatever brand, they tend to be a little lankier and a little softer. Uh Uh And, of course, right. it, it boosts them to grow f- larger faster, but a, the Daniel seems to give me a better quality plant. But use whatever you have available. Just remember to use it at quarter strength. And, Barbara, that's about all the time we have for But before we go, I want you to tell people <laughs> where they can find out more about you. You have oh, a I have a website. It's just my name, barbarapleasant.com. And I, it's kind of like a visit. You can come visit me on, on the Internet. And there's contact if you want to ask me a question or something like that. And I have Homegrown Pantry page on Facebook. And um, then I, I stay busy. <laughs> don't you, you, don't you do all. indeed with, with the number <laughs> of books and articles you put out. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, I usually, I very often will link to one of your articles, either in GrowVidge or Mother Earth News. Mm-hmm. And that's it for this week. But thank you for being with us, Barbara. Thanks for and having me as a guest. It's been wonderful. You're quite welcome. And we'll be back with more gardening next week on America's Homegrown Veggie Show. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.